a basketball coach, worked his way onto uh, the stage. And he was in front of hundreds of people, hundreds of his colleagues and friends, and he was in front of millions of viewers, most likely. The gentleman proceeded to speak for over 11 minutes, and he talked all about how to live life and, and, and what to be thinking about for tomorrow. He said that every day a person should laugh, a person should think, and a person should cry. He said he wanted, he wanted to always think about where he came from, never forget where he came from, understand where he was right now, and envision where he was going to be. And just over a month after he gave the speech, at the ripe old age of 47, he died. Many of you probably know who I'm talking about already. Anyone know? Jimmy Valvano, or Jimmy V. He was a college basketball player, and he was a head coach of, of several teams, but most notably NC State, North Carolina State, where his team upset Hakeem Olajuwon's Houston Cougars on a last-second uh, air ball, then alley-oop dunk, if you will, by Lorenzo Charles in the 1983 NCAA championship. And Jimmy V, he had bone cancer, and, and he knew that he was going to die from it. He had that knowledge that he was going to die when he gave that famous speech, and he encouraged all his listeners, all his listeners. The speech is titled, Never Give Up. Never Give Up. And you know, I think that's what Paul's saying today in, in our scripture. He's telling the Thessalonians to never give up. Don't give up on serving the Lord. Don't give up on him as being... The, don't give up on Paul as being the true apostle of, of Jesus Christ. Don't give up on listening to the Holy Spirit. Don't give up because life is getting tough. Don't give up because you aren't seeing the success maybe you saw once upon a time. Don't give up because people around you are giving up. And Paul, he's an encourager. Paul's an encourager, and, and he is so thankful for the Thessalonians. And that's what he's telling us today. So if you're able... And capable and willing, would you please stand with me as I read through 1 Thessalonians 2. We're going to read the remainder of uh, the scripture of this whole chapter, verses 13 through 20. Last week, Pastor Dave taught us the first 12 verses, and now we'll, we'll conclude it. Verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly 
and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your words and thank you that they can affect us and that they can transform us. Please uh, be with us now that your words will be spoken. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in today's scripture, in today's scripture, Paul continues uh, to show encouragement and thanksgiving to the Thessalonians. He's showing encouragement and thanksgiving to them, and he does this in in a couple different ways. First, uh, we see that Paul was recognizing the Thessalonians received the gospel. He wanted to make sure they under, he understood, he wanted to make sure that the Thessalonians understood that he understood that they were in love with Jesus Christ. You see, last week, Paul was explaining kind of what their missionary trip was, what, what their process was, and, and why they went there. And now this week, he shifts gears, and, and he says, and this This was your response, Thessalonians. This was how you responded. Look at the first verse. Verse 13, he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And I think we need to pull this stuff out, pull this verse out, pull it apart before we dig into the first bullet. The first part, it says, and we also thank God. And you know, Paul's doing this a lot, isn't he? He thanks God. He thanks God for all kinds of things. He he loves encouraging people. And and he uses this where he's thanking God when when he's encouraging someone, when, when he's teaching someone, even when he's rebuking someone, he gives thanks to God. And I think that Maybe we don't do that enough. Maybe, maybe we don't truly thank God in our genuine, in our, in our thought process, where we really thank God for the things in our lives. That, that we thank God for all the things that he's provided for us, all the things that are going on in our life. That's hard to do sometimes. Moving on. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God... So Paul's thanking God, but what's he thanking him for? He's thanking him for the time that when the Thessalonians received the word of God. That's what he's thankful for. He's thanking God for because they received. It's so crucial that we see right here that they actually received it. Because you have to be able to receive it as opposed to just shutting off and saying, no, I don't want to hear it. And the second part is probably even more crucial. What did they receive? The word of God. Because we could receive a lot of different things. But when you receive the word of God, well, that's powerful. What's the word of God? Well, we know from Hebrews that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It's piercing to the division of the soul and spirit. Second Timothy says that all scripture is breathed 
by, out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Psalm 119, 105. I like this verse. Who knows Psalm 119, 105? Anyone here? Your word is a... That's right. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is powerful. It's, it's powerful. And Paul's ecstatic because the people there received it. I, I, I personally, when, when someone, when, when you're sharing the gospel and someone receives it, man, that's powerful. And Paul continues to say, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Translation. Hey, Timothy, Silas, and myself, when we, when we came there and, and, and we preached and, and we shared the gospel, the good news, you know what? You realized that we had some words that were coming from our heads and out of our mouths, but you understood they were words of God, the Holy Spirit, and, and you received them. You knew that they weren't our, our own words. We weren't making these up. He finishes the paragraph by saying, which is at work in you believers, which is at work in you believers. So, so he's saying, hey, you heard words from us, which was actually the word of God, which is now at work in you. Man, that's powerful. And it's true today, uh, today as much as it was 2,000 years ago, that I have an obligation and Pastor Dave has an obligation that when we are teaching, that we are submitting to God because we want, humbly, we want our words truly to be words from God. That, that the Holy Spirit takes over and, and, and that it's not from us, but it, it's from the Holy Spirit. And I, you know, I, I love to be an encourager. In all things, and I often see it, and I, and I, I trust that when you come each week, that, that you're prepared, because there, there's an obligation there from the listener, in order to be ready to receive it, that you're prepared to hear from Pastor Dave or myself, that, that you're, you're praying that, hey, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not coming, I'm not looking to be entertained, I, I'm not looking uh, to be my ear to be tickled and my heartstrings to be pulled. I just want God to speak to me. And God could speak to you uh, while you're visiting with one another, while you're listening to the music or you're worshiping with the worship team, while, while you're walking out of these doors, the Lord could speak to you about something or when we're preaching. The message of the gospel, it has power to transform lives. Let me say that again. I'll probably get an amen after this one. The message of the gospel has the power to transform lives. Amen. I mean, it really does. You know, I'm a different person because Jesus lived a perfect life. I'm a different person because Jesus went to the cross and he died. I'm a different person because in three days after that, he came back to life because I received it. Here, here's a picture here. That's my lovely wife, Sherry, on the left. 
This is her senior picture. And on the right, that's, <laughs> that's Janae Thompson. Uh, Janae Owen, I think, is her name now. And she lives in Texas. Works for Southwest, I think, just to give you a little history. But Janae came home from a Bible camp uh, when I was going into my junior year. And, and you know what? She shared the gospel with me. She's, she came in her kitchen, and there was a bunch of guys there, and we were eating pizza, and, and most of the guys there laughed at her and walked away. And I just stayed, and I asked questions. And that day, that night, after she spoke those words, I literally got on my knees. I was going to say my address, but I can't remember. 301 East Taylor Street in Newark. And I asked the Lord to come into my life. You see, the words that Janae spoke, they weren't her words. It's the Holy Spirit working through her. And that's powerful stuff. That's exactly, that's exactly what, what, what we're talking about here. You see, there is, um, there is understanding that Paul has, and he wants to encourage them because he's seeing that they are demonstrating their faith because of what they've already received, because of the words that they received. The Thessalonians, first, they became imitators. In my first message, I talked about that. Remember, they became imitators of Christ. They became imitators of Paul, and Paul was super encouraged. Now they're going to become imitators of Christ, of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And this is a huge compliment that Paul's now switched to to say that you guys are doing great things. I'm seeing your faith really come, come to life because you're imitating the church in Judea. It, you see, it was the first church. It was where a lot of things were happening, a lot of dynamic things. And the church of Judea is what all the other churches were measuring themselves up against. So I want to explain this in a way that maybe you can understand. So I've been broadcasting games for Newark High School as their play-by-play uh, -play for the basketball team. Some of you uh, may know that. You've listened to me. A couple of you have uh, when I did the Indian Creek Newark game. And, and so I have a, a friend who, who's about four years younger than me who has joined me as my color commentator. He's a little bit crazy. And... Uh, and, and, but he loves doing it. He loves the town. But sometimes he can't come there. And so I've asked Allie to join me and be my color commentator. And Allie, Allie's not necessarily fully versed on basketball phraseology and, and understanding the ins and outs of that. And she didn't know anything about color commentating, really. And so she joined me on, on our first game, maybe at Lamoille, if I remember correct. And, and, as I was calling play-by-play, -play, she just started chiming in with her own play-by-play -play and, and jumping over, and I, I would look at her. Sometimes I muted her. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Allie. But Allie didn't know. It, it, it's like the church, the, the Thessalonicas. They, they didn't know. They, they just knew what Paul was teaching them. They, they, we don't even think they had a lot of time with Paul, and we know it was abruptly changed in the middle of the night. And, and so, so they're trying to figure it out. Well, so what did Allie do? What did Allie do? She 
went to YouTube. She started watching games. She started thinking about what does a color commentate. We watched the game that she color commentated, and we kind of reviewed it, and I said, okay, this is good. That's not so good. We need to change that. We need to tweak that. And, and you know, I was trying to be the encourager. And, and so the next time I had a chance was last Friday or last Tuesday, last Tuesday, and, and I said, Allie, Tom's not going to be here. You want to color commentate? She goes, yes, I've been practicing. And so she's been eyeing things out. And so she went and got stories from the different players and, and found out things that she could chime in during, during different things, like, hey, you know, I think that guy's doing really well in the speech class or whatever. But she had some good thoughts. And what was she doing? She was imitating other people that were doing it well. And, and that's, what, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, you guys, you guys are smart. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have other things that they can Google. No, they, they're looking at the church of Judea, and they're saying, man, we want to imitate them. And Paul was saying, this is good. We, we could see your faith is real. Because you're looking at another church, and man, you're doing a great thing by imitating them. The believers in Thessalonica, you say they wanted to serve the Lord with everything that they had, and so that's what they did. And I got to thinking about this analogy, because the Thessalonians were looking to the church of Judea. What if the church down the street, hypothetically speaking, what if they said, man, we, we want to get serious with the Lord. And they, they said, oh, let, let's look at Village Bible Church down the street. Could they imitate us? Would they be imitating people that are serving Jesus Christ, loving others, unconditionally giving? What would they be imitating? Something for us to think about. Another way that Paul sees the Thessalonians having accepted the gospel is because of them suffering persecution. It, it, it's definitely an identifier when someone is truly a believer. Verse 14b says, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. I don't want to misunderstand Paul here, so I want to, I want to really rip this apart. Let me say that again. For you suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Now remember, this statement is still tied to the fact that he's talking about the church of Judea, how they're imitators. That's crucial to understand. Because remember, Paul was once, when we look at Paul's life, what was his name before Paul? Saul. He was a, he was a perpetrator. He, he, was, he was the leader of the suffering, right? Acts 8.3 says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Remember Stephen? Stephen was, was stoned to death, and, and Paul was watching that happen because of Stephen's belief. These are all things that are happening at the church of Judea. And Paul knows all about the suffering church. He knows about it firsthand as he helped the church suffer, but he also knows firsthand because he himself suffered. He himself suffered pretty severely. 2 Corinthians 11. Maybe some of you guys don't know this, but Paul, he really had to suffer. 2 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 23. 
23b, I am talking like a madman. This is Paul. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments. Listen to this. With countless beatings and often near death. So many times Paul was near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Man, Paul was beat so bad. He was near death multiple times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Are you kidding me? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. He just continues. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. Paul understood suffering. One of those things, and we're remembering it every single day of our life. And he went through it over and over and over, and he appreciated the Thessalonians because they were showing those same things. They were willing to deal with the punishment and the ridicule and and, and maybe the beatings and the persecution that was being given to them. But who caused the suffering? Who caused all of the suffering? Well, Paul, in, in, this, in these verses, he identifies it as who? The Jews, with Satan's help. And as we read the last portion of the verses, the Jews were a constant, the verses I just read, the Jews were a constant burden to Paul. It was like a, a nag nagging thing that kept coming after him because they would they would follow him city to city remember uh, the the jews were the ones who rallied up the people at thessalonica he got them they got them excited let's go let's go let's get them out of here and, and, and then it was the jews that sent their people to berea to follow him and then to athens and corinth before you start thinking though that Paul was anti-Jew. We've got to remember that Paul was a Jew. And he let, never left his heritage. Paul wasn't anti-Jew, and Jesus wasn't anti-Jew. What did he say on the cross? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for our purposes, the Thessalonians, they weren't anti-Jew. Uh, That's not what Paul's saying here. The fact remains that throughout history, throughout Israel's history, they had had chance after chance to accept the blessings. They they had choices, a blessing or cursing. And many, many times they chose cursing. They chose to turn their back on God. And, and, And it was just like this in Paul's day. I mean... They had developed a religion that was focused on works, focused on doing things just right. And they didn't want any Gentile because the Gentiles, they weren't part of the chosen people. And so they couldn't do anything right. And so they were a constant nag to Paul and to the Thessalonians. 
because they didn't want Gentiles to come to the Lord. And, and, and you know what? They didn't want to deal with Paul. Paul was recognizing that the Thessalonians received the gospel, which became evident through their sharing of the word. Through their sharing of the word. And I, I, I think I've, I've covered this point because, you know, the Thessalonians wouldn't have been persecuted if they weren't sharing the word, would they? If, if, if they just kept it to themselves and they chose not to speak, they'd be left alone. You're not spreading the word. We don't, we don't care. Keep it to yourself. But if they weren't, if they were imitating the church of Judea, were they keeping it to themselves? No way, man. They were sharing it. Are you willing to share it, no matter what the cost? Truly, I'm, I'm asking this. Are you willing to share God's word? Some of that, some of you think, I, and I'm sure, some of you think that's really scary. Because it's, if it's scary for me sometimes, it's got to be scary for other people a lot of times. I've shared it with I don't know how many people. Truly, the good news, the gospel, I've shared it with a lot of people with homeless people, with, with, with random people that I've met, dozens of Ethiopian people. However, there's times where I think to myself, why wouldn't I have shared the gospel in a clean way? My friend Busy, I've told you about him before. He's a pastor in, in Ethiopia. So Busy comes to America, and, and, and I, I, I'm driving around, we go up to Oswego, and we go hit golf balls, so imagine hitting golf balls for the first time at the driving range, and then we hit uh, Giordano's Pizza and have stuffed crust pizza, so that was a, a great thing for Busy. And then I had to stop at the dry cleaners. I've been going to Oswego dry cleaners since probably 2000, year 2000. And, and the same family owns it. They know me by name. It's an Asian family. Super nice, maybe the nicest people in the world, some would think. And, and, and I, Busy goes in with me because I'm, I'm like, maybe Busy has no idea what dry cleaning is. And so that's, that's my whole thought process always is I'm, I'm introducing him to some American type thing. And we walk in, within 30 seconds, Busy finds out what religion they are, where they go to church, when they came into America all through just a simple conversation with the owners who I've talked to every single time I've gone in there for years. All he did was say, hey, hi. And he introduced himself and he said, what church do you go to? It was non-aggressive. There was no, I mean, guess what? They love Jesus Christ. They're Christians. For all those years, I had no idea that it was a brother and sister in there. I just knew they were super nice people. And it was all because he just asked a simple question. Man, I was humbled. I was humbled because why didn't I do that? Why didn't I have that conversation a little bit cleaner with my father? Why didn't I talk to my grown-up child a little bit, I found a different angle, so it was not aggressive. 
Why, why didn't I talk to my uncle or my neighbor? I don't know. We get scared. Paul continues to show encouragement and thanksgiving to the Thessalonians through a few reminders. He has a few reminders for us. First, he reminds us that he was torn away while he was with them. The next verse, verse 17, says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. You guys remember that story, don't you? Uh, of how they were torn away. I'm, I'm going to quickly go over it. Acts 17 verses 5 through 10. You can write that down, review it later. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabbi, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, or when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have, who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all attacking against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city authorities were disturbed. And when they heard these things, and when they, and when they heard these things, and when they had taken money and security from Jason, and some people think that he, Jason made a, a bargain with them at that point, saying, okay, I'll get rid of Paul, I'll tell him he can't come back, and then don't hurt anyone. Uh, as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. The brothers immediately set, sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they had arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So it's basically, it's the middle of the night, and, and Paul and Silas are basically whisked off into the dark, heading down towards Berea. Remember, Berea was, was southwest of Thessalonica. And, and so... so they're taken away. And actually, the scripture here, it, it refers to an orphan. It refers to an orphan, and uh, it, it indicates, at least the Greek does, it, that they made orphans. It's an expression in Paul's day that would say that uh, the child lost the parents or the tragedy of losing a child, which works perfectly. Remember, Pastor Dave talked about the mother and the father, that Paul was the mother and the father in, in that focus. And, and, and so it was like he, he wanted them to know how much it hurt him that he was torn away. Remember, he's making this whole case. This whole thing is about him making a case why he hasn't been back there, why they left, that, that they really, truly loved him, that, that there wasn't other um, angles at why they were preaching God's word. Eventually, as we read later in Thessalonians 3, Paul was willing to send Timothy back to them so that Paul could check on how they were doing. So, so that's, a, that's a good thing, that, that Paul was willing to do that. He sent Timothy, uh, one of the top names in his group, he sent him back and said, hey, check on them. I, want, I really want to look into how they're doing. You know, he couldn't... He, he didn't have the capability of going to Facebook, did he? He didn't have the capability of going to Facebook and checking a status. I wonder how they're doing. Oh, let's see what, the, what, what things they posted lately. So, so he sent Timothy, and, and that's how this whole book starts to get written, 
is because Timothy came back and gave this great explanation of how they're doing. I, I truly can understand this. Maybe, maybe some of you who have been missionaries, short-term missionaries, or, or maybe with your kids, I don't know. I, I have helped lead some people to the Lord in Ethiopia. But I talk to those people. I'm here in Illinois, and they're 7,500 miles away in Ethiopia, and I could talk to them nearly instantly through Facebook. And I check in on them. I see how they're doing. I see what they're posting. I encourage them. Sometimes I've had to rebuke them in certain things. But, but what an opportunity it is right now that we can actually connect that way. Paul didn't have that. So he had to, he had to explain, man, I'm going to send, I, I, I sent Timothy to you. That's how much I loved you guys. He said, but you know what my goal is? I want to get face to face. I want to get face to face with you. Uh, Paul says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hinders us. Well, there's just something special about face to face. Isn't there? There, there, there's just something special about that, that that you can't do over a text. They can't do even over a phone call or a Facebook message or a Snapchat for you younger generation. That you can't do uh, through any type of communication, even FaceTime. You, you just, it, it doesn't replace the fact of sitting down in a room I mean, imagine you had, you had someone overseas who was serving in the military. We now have the capability, and, and we do often, depending on the situation and on the privacy of it, we'll allow some of our service people to connect with their families face-to-face -face over Skype. And, and, and I've seen it. I, I've, I've talked with people who have done it. But that doesn't replace sitting in a room and talking with your young man face-to-face -face, or with your wife face-to-face. -face. There's, there's definitely something special about that. And it's personal. You can see their reactions. You can see their body language. And Paul, he's one of the greatest encouragers. He reminds the Thessalonians that he longs to be with them. He longs to be with them. And Paul goes so far as he says, that he's tried over and over and over. But who stopped him? Satan. Satan stopped him. And, and the scripture actually says that basically Satan, what he did was he exploded the road, the path, the highway, so we couldn't get there. We don't know, we don't know exactly what it is. I read a lot of different commentators I studied a long time trying to figure out what was it. And, and no one knows exactly. But, but Paul wants to make sure that they understand that sometimes Satan puts roadblocks. And, and we just can't get what we want, but I wanted to be there. And we see in Scripture, personally, that Satan does do that. Satan puts roadblocks for you to try to do what you're trying to do 
or, or, or what, what you're trying to accomplish. And he, and he attacks believers. And he doesn't, want, he doesn't want the spreading of the gospel. I mean, that's, that's like his biggest thing, is how do I stop somebody from spreading the gospel? And he wants you just off the, just off the straight and narrow to try to detract you, to try to get you focused on something else, to try to cause you actually havoc in your own life. Sometimes this comes through sickness or opposition or, or whatever. At the end of the story, jumping ahead, Paul does eventually get there. Well, they, we believe that he gets back to uh, Thessalonica on his third missionary trip. Finally, Paul's reminding the Thessalonians that he was waiting and he was resting in God's glory. He was waiting and resting in God's glory. Verse 19 and 20 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul wanted to make sure that there was absolutely zero question of, of what the apostles, uh, it, that, that the apostles were sincere in their intentions of going to Thessalonica and sharing God's word. And they wanted to return. He wanted to make sure, man, we are going to return. We want to return. Timothy came there, and, and, and I'm going to come there. I hope Satan's been in our way, but we're going to get there. But he wants to make sure that he knows that their source of joy in the present day and in the future when the Lord returns, Paul's rejoicing. He, Paul's not rejoicing over their accolades here. He's not rejoicing over their awards but he's rejoicing over what? Over the people that have believed. He's rejoicing over the people, the converts themselves. We need to remember that. Uh, we get really excited when, when, when somebody gets a 4.0, right? Somebody does an awesome job at the football game. Uh, somebody uh, graduates high school. We throw a party. They get their master's degree, and, and that's awesome. They win the state championship. Man, this is great. This is, this is wonderful. We sit in awe at the accomplishments as somebody wins the Nobel Peace Prize. We're just, we appreciate all the hard work. We stay up late at night and, and we watch the Emmys or America's Got Talent. And all those things are great. All those things are great. They're, they're, they're good in their own way. But do we rejoice when our son or our daughter gives their lives to the Lord? Is that our greatest joy? Are we shouting that from the rooftops? Are we announcing that? I'm as guilty as anyone. Why do we keep things like that more private? That should be our source of joy. Here, here's two pictures. One on the left is from February 10th, 2015. That's Reggie. Not the one with the big teeth. And on the right 
some of you may recognize that. That's from June 27, 2015. He's got Mark's hat laying on him. These were two Facebook posts that I did. The one on the left had no description, had no comment. I, I, I didn't share anything with it. I just showed the picture. We were at a restaurant in Jamaica or something. It was on our cruise. The picture on the right, though, the Facebook status I wrote was, I think Reggie was tired. What a great night at our movie night. He may sleep here until our next movie night on July 17th at 7 p.m. Nothing wrong with either of those posts, right? Both of them cute. It's Reggie. The one on the right, I'm promoting our church. I'm promoting, I, I tagged our church. I tagged multiple people here. And we're promoting people coming and, and joining us and, and learning about God one on the left, well, the only issue with that is, you see, on February 10th, 2015, Reggie had been asking me about Jesus for several weeks at that point. He had been asking me every question you could imagine. The kid's a brilliant kid. Apparently, he gets it from his father. But I'll tell you what, that day, Reggie, he laid in a bed and gave his life to Jesus Christ. That's the greatest day in Reggie's life ever. I didn't post about that. I'm not saying that you have to post about everything. But why is it that we promote random things, things that we think are celebratory. We don't post about the greatest thing. We don't rejoice over the greatest thing. And you know what that is? That's over a soul giving their life to Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing in the world. I'm so thankful that Janae was in my life. I'm so thankful that I got to be in Reggie's life. I'm so thankful that we as a congregation, can strategize how we can serve God together more and more and more, working for him tirelessly because it's our joy. I want to encourage you, even though life gets tough sometimes, even though there, there's tough choices to be made, even though there's, there's things that come in and then wreak havoc in our life, and even though there's great things that come in that take our attention away from other things in life, move all your focus back to Jesus Christ. Never give that up. Never give up on Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we praise you we praise you because we can't even know how to love you the way that we should without you helping us. And we beg for you to help us and to guide us and to lead us. 
God, will you affect us that we can be uh, mighty warriors of, of spreading your gospel? Lord, I, I want to I imitate you. I, I want to look to others and, and imitate them who are serving you faithfully day in and day out. I thank you for the encouragers of our lives, the people who, who lift us up and who guide us towards serving you more. Most of all, God, I'm just thankful that you love me. Thankful that you died for me, that you rose again so I can have life. We love you, Jesus. We really do. We, we praise you. We want to worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.